0: I have a penchant for wildcats, one in particular. Go tigers! Now, there's another cat begging for my attention, and I just can't ignore it. Who could when these cats are distilling rum? I'm Susan Schwartz, your drinking companion, and this is Lush Life Podcast. Every week, we are inspired to live life one cocktail at a time. On Lush Life today, sponsored by Louisiana Travel, I'm thrilled to have Tate Martin, PhD president and CEO of Wildcat Brothers Distillery, who's with us to recount the story of how a cocktail made with their rum found its way to being the official cocktail of the city of Lafayette, Louisiana, and so much more. Have you ever been to Louisiana? I love it for its Creole and Cajun culture, Mardi Gras, and the beautiful city of New Orleans. But the Pelican State offers so much more, including the amazing live music scene covering everything from jazz to swamp pop and zydeco. A fascinating history combining diverse cultures, over 400 festivals a year, and adventures, including kayaking on the bayous and lakes, hiking in the many national and state parks throughout the state, or the newly launched Louisiana Civil Rights Trail. If you didn't know it already, it's the home of the cocktail, and gumbo, jambalaya, Tabasco hot sauce, king cake, and beignets. Louisiana offers a food and drink experience that is second to none. Meet craft distillers, brewers, and mixologists who are working with local traditions and making a name for themselves on the Louisiana Culinary Trails or Louisiana Libations Trail. Let the endless beauty of Louisiana feed your soul and inspire you. You can check out more by visiting www.louisianatravel.com. Now let's join Tate, one of the Wildcats himself. I'm so excited to have you on the show. Thank you for being here. Thank you. One of the Wildcats, one of the Wildcat brothers, should I say?
1: Absolutely. First off, thanks for letting us be on this podcast. And uh, yeah, it's a crazy story. I've, I've known David for about 30 years now. And the whole brothers aspect of our company is we're fraternity brothers. I was the fraternity chapter president of a Theta Chi fraternity back at Northwestern State University. And David was the new pledge that came in. And he was always a fun guy. He never got into trouble, but he always knew where the best parties were. Very important. Very important. We kind of clicked in college, and then he went off to be a lawyer, and I went off to be a scientist and professor and and owned a marketing agency and it did all kind of crazy things.
0: Wait, 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 wait. Slow down, slow sure. down, slow down. All right. You said you were studying yes. science. So was science something that you always wanted to study?
1: No. Actually, I, I originally went to school for poultry science. I was going to be a chicken farmer and then realized that that was not my path in life. Are you from a, a family of chicken farmers? No, I'm not. I, I actually I'm from a small town called Cutoff Louisiana, but grew up on a farm, a small family farm. You know, we had chickens and cows and stuff and was involved with in the agriculture community and decided, hey, let's, let's be a good way to to expand that and make a livelihood out of it. <laughs> yeah, I realized about two or three years into college that, that was not my passion. And then kinda of got into public relations and, and marketing and, and journalism and really began getting excited about what moved people and getting messages out and, and advertising and, and kind of took that path in, in life. And after I graduated, I still had some questions to be answered. So David and I went up to Northwestern State University, which is in Natchitoches, Louisiana, the oldest town in the Louisiana Purchase. It's a beautiful area. And after I left there, we came down to, to UL Lafayette, University of Louisiana, uh, and taught there, got a couple of master's degrees and taught there for a for about
0: a year and a half. I know nothing about chicken farming. Okay. <laughs> but I can imagine that it could be quite lonely as in, but isn't something that you go out and you're, you're meeting and chatting to people and all that. You're kind of tending the farm. This is kind of what I'm guessing. Susan, Yeah, you're, you're nodding.
1: You hit it on the, the, the joke that I have is that I realized that the chickens don't talk back and I hated it. So that was the joke that I realized. Yeah, let's let's get into some place where it, it, it's a dialogue by, by nature. And I'm sure during this podcast, I, I and and even David. I mean, we joke that we're we're both lifelong learners and just generally interested in people and and things. And we're always great for a conversation. And that was the thing is that David went on to be a lawyer, and I went on to find out what else got people a tick. And uh, yeah, I didn't get that in I didn't get that in the chicken forming, But uh, even though now, I mean, I, I'm still happy to be in in the agriculture arena yes but exactly yeah.
0: we're gonna get I was gonna get back to that I was oh, yeah get back absolutely to that. yeah that you have, have then come full circle back to the farm full but crazy
1: circle yes
0: so you were studying science behavioral science right yeah getting, so as you said what gets people ticking
1: so here in Lafayette I studied interpersonal communication and, and organizational behavior and and, uh, and again still had some questions to be answered after the master's degrees and so ended up at Florida State getting a PhD in cognitive processing in, in their communication department, which is basically how people take in information and act on it.
0: So you can make anyone do anything, really? Well,
1: no, nah, not really. But I do joke that when people drink our rum, the experiment's working. Yeah. I mean, that's <laughs> kind of how it is. Uh, and, and it really does. I mean, we often joke we don't take ourselves seriously, but we you know we take our products seriously and our approach. But yeah, my team has a saying that nothing at Wildcat Brothers happens by accident because, I mean, we want to make sure that, that we're doing things that get people to Really engage with our products and also engage with us, because um, that's that's the thing. Is I mean, you know, you own a distillery and and you you can make cheap booze and sling stuff out, but if you want to make really great spirits that that attract people and 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 get them coming and, and look, one of our passions and we're doing this because of Louisiana uh, is getting people connected to all the great things happening in the state. Yeah, that's a lot more than just saying, hey, we made some rum, drink it. It's talking about building that that whole ethos around who we are as a as a company. And that's, that's what excites us every day.
0: Oh, yeah, I'm sure. And although you're born and bred in Louisiana, mm-hmm. there might have been a chance where you didn't come back because you were doing your professor thing. David was being a lawyer. Was there always the call to come back?
1: So not really the joke, but I always said, I mean, when I moved to Florida and, and left Lafayette, I always said I would retire back to Lafayette. I mean, Lafayette, Louisiana is the heart of Cajun country. It's the heart of Louisiana. And I mean, it's just, it's the best people. It's just a great place to live. So I always knew that I would end up back here, but I was expecting to be a lot older and a lot more. <laughs> yeah, in a different a different sense. But when David called and, and threw out this idea of coming together and I brought it back to my wife, she says, oh, does this mean you're retiring? And I said, well, no, but we're going to live in Lafayette. And we're gonna have a good time. So it's, yeah. So it was it was a calling back because it's just a great place to be. All right.
0: So let's go to that call. So David and you are doing your own thing, and as you just said, I guess David picks up the phone and says, "Hey, you want to start a distillery?"
1: Well, so here's the thing. So we've been doing this for eleven years. David's been doing it about a single person for about seven years. So this whole distillery was created because, well, it was time for a change, and and and. David jokes that, you know, he started this distillery because he didn't really get fulfillment out of his job. And he would go out with the rest of his guys who worked with every afternoon, go out to happy hour. And and the question kind of became, what's the difference between a $7 bottle of tequila versus a $70 bottle? And as they pontificated, you know, David, and, and that's the thing, Susan, we can't, I can't say that's enough. We are geeks and we're nerds and we try to figure stuff out. And David's mind, rather than just doing more research, he and his buddy said, hey, let's build a still. Then the realization came of, well, crap, I'm a lawyer. And if we're building this, it better be legal. So he went and got <laughs> it. He got it registered with the state and come to find out we're the second distillery in Louisiana. We have the license number two. Um, and actually today we're, I believe we're the, the oldest continually running distillery in Louisiana. That's crazy. Um, it I cannot crazy. believe
0: it. From the beginning of time?
1: From Yeah, absolutely. Yep. We have distillery license number two. And that's the thing is it, it's, it's, which excites me even more because our industry and just like craft distilling, we're at the beginning, which is really kind of cool. So when I first found out through social media that David was producing alcohol, at that time I owned a uh, an ad agency, it was teaching public relations at Florida State. I said, "Hey, brother, let me." Uh, I would love to do your your branding and marketing, and he said, "Tate, I, I wish I would, but we're trying to keep things just small here right now, and that's great." And then fast forward about seven or eight years, he he calls and says, "Hey, Tate," out of the blue, like literally, I had not seen this guy in person. In twenty plus years, out of the blue, he calls me up and and says, "Hey, uh, I bought out my partners. Let's revisit the marketing conversation." And of course, being a complete funny brother, I'm going, "Well, David, now I'm too expensive for you." And and it <laughs> was gives ha ha. And he responds back and says, "Look, let's you know, let's talk about this." And next thing you know, I bought half a distillery, and then I told my wife, which was the wrong way of doing it. <laughs> uh, so, uh, but lovely, my my wife Emily is a saint, and I. Every time I'm on a podcast, I give her a shout out to tell her, thank you.
0: I'm sure I'm sure she loves what you're doing completely and has bought into it because who doesn't like a, someone who, or, you know, be married to someone who has a rum distillery.
1: But, but also too is, is having that support and just encouragement is what's amazing. And, and that's one of the lucky things that David and I have is, is, and even all of our team, we have that family support of people. I mean, some people go, you know, I'm, I'm going to start a distillery to sell it. This is, this is David and I, we're retiring here. I mean, this is where we <laughs> want to look at because this is... This is fun. We get up every day. We get to solve problems. We get to beat the public. We get to talk about things that we're passionate about. But also, too, we're in on the joke. Like we, like Susan, we are not a lawyer and a behavioral scientist. I mean, it's almost like a joke. Walk into a bar.
0: <laughs> the punchline is the next thing you know, they have a distillery.
1: A distillery, and even funnier, the second punchline is that when we when we sat in, and talked about this, it was like, okay, David, I'm not a rum drinker. And he says, Tate, I'm not really either. So David's more of a tequila gin guy. I'm a whiskey bourbon guy. So
0: that was my gonna be my question. Yeah. When he called you, was he distilling rum at that time?
1: Yes. He he was distilling rum. So so there was always and 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 Susan, I always tell people, Louisiana, especially this area, is like the Napa Valley of sugarcane. I mean, we have the best sugarcane in the world. So David, even though he was, you know, interested in distilling and you know the original Thought was tequila, you know. We are in the most fertile and and incredible fields of sugarcane out there. I mean, it's literally walk outside of our factory and, and you're in a field. So it was kind of like, well, let's distill sugarcane. Uh, let's distill rum because that's what we have here. And you know, later on, maybe we'll get into other things. But what we found is that sugarcane is such a perfect plant that actually, through either aging or flavoring, we get well. Put it this way, we get a lot of of. Folks who think we make bourbon and whiskey or gin because they drink our rum that's flavored that way and it's it's or flavored or aged that way, so it's kind of a a unique deal. So we're really trying to take the rum category and flip it on its head.
0: Did he already have the sweet crude, your white rum, your stable yet? Was it? It was up. It was up and running. And it was up and running. Yeah, exactly the way he wanted it to taste.
1: It was. And and one of the things I, I often joke. And again, remember, I'm coming from the public relations and advertising world, so. I'm I'm always looking for the news angles. I mean, you know, as a podcast, so if you're always looking for that interesting story. So David, in, in all his wisdom as he developed this, because we're we're the first distillery in Acadiana in in, in in this area. So David had a lot of initial fans. So he first got our rum included in the official cocktail of Lafayette, which is the roulette, which we can talk about later. So the city was bought in and the, the tourism folks were bought in. But even bigger and, and I often joke with people that, you know, in our business we realize quickly that our friends lie, because when you ask them how does this taste, they either say it's great because they don't want to hurt our feelings, or they say it's great because they want more free booze. So, <laughs> so if you want to know how things are going or how you how you get better, you have to submit to either tasting panels or contests. Well, at that time, about 2013, the big contest in our field was was known as the Washington Cup, and it was where every American spirit was pitted against each other, and and they give incredible notes back. And that's what David wanted. He wanted to find out how to make sweet crude better. Well, he ended up winning it. Uh, he was one of the five winners right alongside Buffalo Trace and Knob Creek Distilleries. I mean, so, and he was making this stuff in a garage. So when David called, our sweet crude was producing. And it's the same recipe we use today. I mean, this is the one that that won all the awards and it's, it's phenomenal. And he had a few aged things, but he already had it cranking. And and it was, I could see his vision and I could see I mean, you can taste the in, in wine they call it terroir. You, you you can taste the presence of Louisiana. I mean, it, it, it's the pure sugar cane is, is is incredible. Well, it is some of the best uh, the best out there, and it, it's, it's it's actually important for the way that we distill because the type of rum we make is called a French style rum. So whereas most English style rums like you know Bacardi or Captain Morgan, they're they're using what's called blackstrap molasses. That's the end of the process. So that's all after the sugar's been taken out. So French style, you either use the juice of the sugar cane, and, and you'll, you'll see that in, in uh, stores. Sometimes it's called an agricole.
0: Yeah, like the rum agricole, right.
1: Yeah, it's spelled R-H-U-M. Well, what mm-hmm. we do is we take the pure sugar itself, the crystals, and we create our own syrup. So that's taking out the impurities. It's started with the crystals, and we ferment that. So having quick access to the the mills is important. So when we need sugar, we get our truck and trailer and go to the mill and pick up tons of sugar. So it's... It, it really is important that that we're close by to sugarcane farms.
0: Absolutely. Now, when you joined David, did he just have that one product, the sweet crude? He, he,
1: he did. Well, I, I take it back. He had another product that was a dark or a five-year blend product because he was doing some experimenting with with some dark rums, and and because David was in the oil field, and actually, I, you know, my family was in the oil field, and that, that's why the. You know, the, the sweet crude name of of oil and, and, and Wildcat, which we can get, get to that in a second. David had another product on the market. It was called Black Gold. It was a just regular barrel-aged rum that was getting some hits. And he had a five-year blend that was known as Fine Rum, which has since been branded as Noir, which is still in the market today. So he had a few things. and But really, you know, when David bought it, and the joke is, and my wife reminds me about this often, <sighs> when I convinced her I said hey life's not going to change because we can still live in Tallahassee I can still be president because all we're doing is you know we just want to double david's production well that took about 3 weeks <laughs> so <laughs> so then we realized David and I we have control issues in terms of like let's go and see what the market will take let's let's go and have fun with this and then yeah so so the the growth was really taking the the sweet crude and the dark rums that were aging and, and really kind of developing the products there. And and he also was had the uh, beginning thoughts of a spice rum. So it was kind of a going in as a clean slate. And also too is, is and I told this to my wife and friends and, and even David. I said, David, if if the product would have been crappy, there's no way I would have, would have retired from a twenty five year career in marketing and advertising.
0: You said that at first, David wasn't a rum guy, and you weren't a rum guy. Sure. What what then converted you to being a rum guy?
1: Well, I think first off, David was what converted me to being a rum guy because
0: I know that was a silly question that I asked. Of course, no, it was no,
1: David. <laughs> no, it, it, it's, it's not at all. But because, and and it's funny, Susan, you say that because I love whenever people come to the distillery or, or, or Gator Cove, and they, you can always tell that one person in the group who's just. I'm just here because my husband or wife or brother or sister drugged me here. I hate rum, and yeah. I then go, okay, tell me about the bad spring break story. Let's have a cocktail and we'll talk about it. But when David started producing it as a fraternity brother, I, I started buying it and then realized, holy crap, this is amazing. So David really kind of got me into being a rum guy, and then of course, you know, owning owning a distillery, a rum right. distillery, it kind of does that. But but now I consider myself a. a, a Die-hard rum guy because I'm new to this world and I want to taste it all. So yeah, it was like almost like collecting puzzle pieces in the journey. That yeah, I'm, I want to become a rum person and learn the most about it. And uh, yeah, so so that's kind of how I became. And now every day at the distillery, it's more like okay, this is this is how we're you know taking the rum as a product and taking it to have a more whiskey edge or maybe a more gin edge or, or working with certain partners with certain flavor profiles. And it really becomes a barrier breaking thing because that's the thing is is most people think rum is you know a bad spring break trip and <laughs> it's it's sophisticated rum drinkers right now are are phenomenal. I mean we're getting people you know coming and searching for rums that that we have like that they can't get anywhere else and that's why I'm looking at the rum industry is going to kind of become you know I'm seeing especially the dark rum industry almost like the bourbon industry here in America because we're seeing people now. Call and ask for specific things that, you know, it's tough to get.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Rum old fashions are absolutely. you know just even saying the words rum and rum old fashioned, it exists. You know, yeah. it's definitely a drink that people are are drinking or ordering.
1: And 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 that's the thing too, is that we we often joke sometimes because we're we're very much applied people, down-to-earth people. And when people ask, you know, how should I drink this, whatever the drink is, I'm going, drink it however the hell you want it. I mean, this is I think I think drinking alcohol is is a personal experience. So we, we tell people, like our sweet crude, our original rum, anything you use a clear liquor for, you can use sweet crude. Even to the point where we've developed a rum specifically for bloody marys, uh, and it's it is a game changer. Oh, yum! Yeah. People, and actually, right there, right behind me, it's called sweet crude Marie. It's basically a rum that we we said, okay, let's let's take the market and. and Maybe go a little crazy. So uh, yeah, that,
0: I'm going to interrupt you there, please. Yeah, please, because I've just skipped over so much of this, and I want to yeah. go back because I always go back. Um, <laughs> and and we've done t- ten steps ahead. So of course we have to talk about the name. Yep. The, Wildcat. Was it always Wildcat, or when did you become Wildcat Brothers?
1: Yeah. So 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 originally, our our distilling license is under the term rank wildcat spirits and the reason why is because wildcat is not a, you know people say well is it is it a kentucky connection well I, I am i am proudly a kentucky colonel and but it's sadly it's not from from kentucky uh wildcat is an oil field term and it's the type of well that people think you're crazy to go out and try to drill but when it hits it's unbelievable So it's kind of like when people have ideas in the oil field, well, that's a Wildcat idea. So when when David told his boss that, hey, I think I'm going to go and register this distillery, he kind of popped up and said, well, Mo, that's just one of your ranked Wildcat ideas. And he went, oh, I think I'm going to name it that.
0: Yeah, great name.
1: Well, as the marketing guy... You know, sometimes the word rank doesn't work, so no. uh, so we uh, we switched it up. Whenever we came together in 2019, that's when I joined and, and came there. We we really said, okay, we want to keep the wildcat idea because that's that's who we are. We're very much a let's take chances. We're not settled people, but not settled in the way of like we're always having to you know do something. But it's like, okay, if we're great at this, let's get even more great. Let's see where it can go further. So yeah, so when David and I we kind of sat and talked to me, said, we got to keep Wildcat. And then, hell, let's bring the brothers aspect too, because it, it really was. I mean, when we, and, and people think we're crazy, actually, David and I changed our lives together. Uh, and we hadn't seen each other for 20 plus years. And it was like, we saw each other. And then it was like, nothing ever skipped a beat.
0: Uh, it was a leap of faith that was meant to be.
1: Oh, absolutely. Uh-huh. So in, this whole existence that, I, that we 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 joke about is that we, we absolutely believe in divine intervention or universal intervention or whatever, because here's the funny thing. So we're really proud about our heritage. And as we're doing and developing the distillery, um, to kind of scoot my mind off of of being, you know, talking about rum, I would do genealogy. And, and I found out that David and I's family have been hanging out together since 1765 for the very first documentation of Cajuns in America the very first little paper that said that our families were exchanging card money in, in new Orleans and the documentation is the Martin family followed them. I mean, we have been literally hanging out together for, for centuries. And uh, yeah, that's just, it's, it's really, really odd how there's a lot of serendipity happening here.
0: Yes. And you know, since you brought up Cajun and Acadian, Maybe you can tell me a little bit about how that plays into either the principles or how you make your rum, you know, this this Acadian heritage, which is so specific to your area.
1: Sure. Well, and, and if you look at our bottles, we, we talk about Acadiana's own. And Acadiana is really the the area of Louisiana. I believe it's uh, 22 parishes of, of that. Really, if you look at Louisiana as a boot, it's probably coming from, you know, mid to all the way to the heel. That's kind of Acadiana. It's it's where the the Cajuns kind of ended up after they were exiled outside of Nova Scotia. And uh, the Cajun people were are a hearty people. We're people who uh, we we find solutions to things, and we're not afraid to take a chance. And we always make sure to laugh. And that's that's one of the things. So David, being from Appaloosas, Louisiana, and me being from Cutoff, we we were ingrained. I mean, our parents and grandparents. Spoke Cajun French, and and, I mean it's definitely we wanted to make sure that 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 pride came across in our rum. So when we founded our company, we really founded on four big principles, and the first one was conservation. So conservation of, well, our Cajun heritage. So we talk about that often. We also talk about the way that we make our rum, which is very unique and specific. It's there's not many people doing French style rum because it's tough to get. I mean, you have to be you have to literally live next to the field because you know shipping a ton of sugar is pretty expensive. And also conserving, you know, it, it's kind of unique. In Louisiana, we, we care about the land here. I mean, because our people have had to live off it. So, you know, in terms of conservation, it's, it's you know, making sure that we have the, the land, the water, the wildlife needed to sustain a good area, but also to make some good rum. So it's, it's, really, it's really that conservation of, of making sure the farmers have support, making sure that we're continuing to tell a story. So that's, yeah, that's really important to us. It's kind of funny when we have visitors, we, we have a Thursday night happy hour. And I'd say that most of the time, half of the people are from out of the country or they just come hang out because they want to, you know, interact with Cajun people. So that's kind of cool. Um, so, yeah, so that's that's really the, the a big part of, of what we wanted to do. So so being, being Cajun and being from Louisiana is really important.
0: And you said there were four principles. What are the yeah. other three?
1: So conservation is number one. The second one is going to be moderation. We, look, if you drink a whole bottle of alcohol, you're probably going to die. Don't do it. We, we talk about the responsible use and the adult use of drinking because David, you know, David and I, sadly, the times that we've, we've hurt relationships, been embarrassed, did something stupid was, was when we were drunk. So we talk about, hey, if you do this, make sure you do it correctly. Make sure mm-hmm. you do it appropriately. If you want to get tipsy, that's, hey, that's your decision, but make sure you have people who are there to protect you. And that's the, the thing too, is is David and I, we're still, as many of our team, we're still involved with uh the fraternal movement, and we talk a lot with college students. And I, I often joke that you know I would really prefer that the first time a college student drinks our booze is on graduation mm-hmm. night to celebrate, because mm-hmm. uh, this is not a cheap thing. And, and that's the thing is we want to talk about drinking and being adult in a way that's adult. So we're not going to be preachy about it. But you know, as brothers, we're going to say, "Hey, idiot, you might have had a little too much." Right. So that's 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 a big one. Uh, the third thing is innovation. Innovation is huge. David and I are not from this field, so we are taking it to the extent. When I joined with David, I said, "David, what's the what are the sacred cows that I can't make hamburger out of?" <sighs> and he said, "I created this recipe. It's not like a family legacy or whatever." He said, "Let's take it for a spin." We look at everything. I mean, you know, Noir, our five-year blend is is known as Bourbon's Cajun cousin in Kentucky. I mean, it's been the it's been the bourbon of the month at major bourbon societies, which.
0: I love that. And you're that. kind of going,
1: <laughs> okay. How much are you guys drinking? If you can't see, it says rum in the <laughs> uh, and, and and even now, we have a product coming out that people, you know, we've done blind tastings and with with people, and they still haven't realized that it's rum. So it, it's it's oh God, it's ways hysterical that we're taking it and we're going, um, you know, let's let's see where we can go. And and that's the thing; it, it all goes back to the science. And it, it's good that David and I are kind of geeks because you know it goes back to the science of the sugar cane, you know, food science. And we're looking at flavorings and biology and it's kind of crazy. So we, we, even though we're Cajuns, we're pretty nerdy, nerdy about that. And and the last thing is celebration. So I'm sure you have seen the world sometimes is, is people get down. And and what David and I both realize is, is people sometimes just need at at the end of the day, just celebrate that you made it through. (laughs) Sit down and have a cocktail.
0: Yeah. Amen to that.
1: And, and, and that's the thing, Susan, it's, it's, it's amazing. You know, when we speak to, when we have tour groups coming in and, and stuff, it's, it's almost like that's a light that clicks that people are not thinking about that, well, crap, I can make a celebration about anything. And, and we really want to tout that, is that we make these rums to make a cocktail so at the end of the day, you can sit down and talk with a friend. We often say, you know, if you're sad, depressed, angry, you don't need a drink, you need a friend. So come, we'll, we'll talk to you. I mean, we'll help you out. But in terms of as looking for it from the, the spirit side, it's like we want you to sit down and, and talk and tell stories. And we want to sit, sit down and learn more about you. There's a Cajun concept. A Cajun word is called V-A-Y-A. And it's spelled really weird, but it's pronounced v a y y a y V-A-Y-Y-A-Y. V-A-Y-A. And it's basically, it's it was so important to the Cajun culture, they made an actual word for it. It's basically at the end of the day, spending time with people, catching up on life, maybe gossiping a little bit somebody has an instrument pulling it out and singing along so it's it's just really that celebration of life that that we saw is kind of missing sometimes and and yeah that's kind of what we're trying to bring back so everything we do if it's not one of those four principles conservation moderation innovation or celebration if it's not one of those we don't do it
0: i love that let's talk about your innovation because we talked about two of your expressions so the sweet crude yep and the the noir mm
1: mm-hmm. FIFA. So FIFA is our spiced rum. There's two big stories that kinda of go along with a FIFA concept. So a FIFA in the Cajun culture, it's kinda of like a spirit version of a boogeyman. And it, it it transforms itself as a glowing orb of light in the swamp. So if you're a bad kid and you're you know sassy to your parents, they're gonna say, well, the fifale is gonna pinch your toes at night. You better be nice. Or if you're like a really sassy kid, you're gonna be overcome by the spirit and follow them into the swamp and never be seen again. Oh my but god, the, I but, love
0: that. But I love that he just comes to the swamp, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Ex- the people ex- exactly from it. the swamp. Yeah. I
1: mean that's the thing. Well we'll come to find out because you know, we live next to a college and so I'm going back to anthropologists and, and storytellers going, okay, guys, y'all need to tell me where this story comes from.
0: Oh my god, I love
1: it. Yeah, so so the two big ones, so that's that's the one. But on the flip side, there's the pirate story. And and the pirate story is the concept of as the legend was told to me, there was a pirate called Jean Lafitte in uh, in New Orleans. He was a famous privateer and pirate, and he would bury treasure along the coast. And um, the way he would do it is he would bring a friend. So if I'm Jean Lafitte, I'm going to take you, Susan, as my friend, and we're going to take our buried treasure. We're going to go in the swamp with our shovels, and I have my map, and I'm writing it down. We dig the hole, and I shake. we put the treasure in the hole. I shake your hand and say, Susan, thanks for your service, and I shoot you. Boom, you plop dead on top of the buried treasure. I put the hole, I, I fill in the hole. Now, remember, I'm a pirate, so I know exactly where it's at. Nobody uh-huh. else has it. Uh, and I wrote it on my map. Well, Jean Lafitte dies, the pirate, the, the map gets lost. So the FIFLA is supposedly the spirit of the person guarding the treasure. And you're supposed to follow them. And when they dip into the ground, that's where you dig to get the buried treasure. So it was two big... <sighs> stories. We thought it was kind of funny. And, and if you notice on a bottle of Fifale, it says to chase the light. So uh, yeah, aside from the morbidity, and that's the thing, sometimes Cajuns have a little gallows humor. You know, we're not afraid to
0: hey. laugh at a funeral. No, no, it's really fun. Now, <laughs> um, now, what did you think that you wanted to start spicing your r- spiced rum with? You know, where do you start with the spices?
1: Well, first off, this was, we, we joked that Fifale is a rum we love to hate. And the reason we love to hate, not only is it the most difficult to make, and, and again, we do it, and it's it's actually one of our best sellers, but the reason why spiced rum was invented was when you had crappy white rum. So remember, David, uh, you know, David and, and the team at the beginning, they won the top spirit, you know, the Washington Cup, the, the white rum. is actually the first time that a white rum's ever done that.
0: Which is so amazing.
1: Yeah. And, and, and that's the thing too, a white rum being sippable is a really crazy concept. So... David said, "Okay, if I'm going to do a spice rum, I want to do it my way. So it's it's all natural ingredients, and it's very it's a very light yet complex flavor. So it has it has some cinnamon, some allspice, vanilla, coffee, and actually black peppercorns. It's it's an amazing sippable rum, but it's it's unlike anything out on the market. It's perfect by itself. It's incredible with club soda, but if you mix it in equal parts with hard pressed um, apple cider." It's going to knock your socks off.
0: Now, I don't know if these are trade secrets, but when in the distillation process, if you're allowed to tell me, um, do you add the spices? Is it like gin where you have it in a basket or, you know, how do you do that?
1: That's a a great question. And and that's not a trade secret. Um, I I often joke with people on our tours and said, I'll tell you the recipe right now. It's water- Sugar cane and yeast, and, and and I and I told you the recipe. Go, deeper, make, it like, Go exactly, make it
0: yourself. Go try and make yourself. Right, have fun.
1: Well, that's what we're we're even jokingly going to start putting bags of sugar in the uh, in the gift shop and call it dehydrated rum. But but no, so it's not like a gin basket. That's, that's a great question. So all of the mixing is going to be done after the fact. Okay, David and I. I mean, I use this analogy more than David, but I kind of look at life like as as, as Legos. It's like okay, we're going to put this piece together and this piece and that. So in in our distillery, we have extracts that we're developing, and we have different you know rums. So it becomes okay. Let's mix these things together. So mm-hmm. it's so the Fifale is going to be after distillation uh, mix. Although with our new still, and we're we're kind of in going from a hundred gallon still to now a five hundred gallon still, and it does have the gin basket capability. So we may be doing some some in distillation flavoring as well soon.
0: Yeah, it would be a super neat to see yeah. how it turns out. Now, something that I love on your website is that you have a snake oil registry yeah. and that people can, you know, I went to summer school, Middlebury, and it was at the time when a new ice cream company was trying out new flavors and they were near Middlebury, Vermont. And so they would just give us ice cream to try all different flavors. And that was Ben and Jerry's. Yep. So I kind of see this as an adult Ben and Jerry's try this as you know, as we're going along to see how it, it goes. You have a, so many flavors, marshmallow. The one that I'm desperate to try is the sweet crude maple sugar maple. Is this kind of like anyone can come and try these, these, uh, attempts of, so, or, or what do you, I'm not sure what to call them.
1: Well yeah, so so, so what it is 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 we jokingly call snake oil our our drinkable focus group. because remember, I I, I said our friends lie. Uh, we love them, but they're gonna say everything's great. Um, so what we did for our ten year anniversary, we decided, because we have a lot of great friends in the brewing industry and 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 you know, craft beer, they're popping out different products all the time. So as as a kind of a yeah. wild idea, I said, all right, distilling team, for our 10-year anniversary, let's do a different rum every month, and they thought I was crazy, and, and I mean, I am.
0: Oh, boy, every month.
1: Yes, ma'am, so we so we did 12, so that's the thing is, is snake oil started out as we made 100 bottles available to the public, and we did a night where people can come and taste it, and we had a cocktail application, taste it, see what kind of crazy stuff we were doing, and And on each bottle, well, actually, the funny thing was that each bottle, all the labels are the same. So if you want to know which one you have, you have to actually click the QR code on the side, go to the website, to the snake oil registry, and, you know, see. But also, it was kind of like an agreement that, you know, tell me how you're using the product. And we got some incredible information. And what we found, actually, our Sweet Crude Marie, it was snake oil number three. And people were drinking it and going Okay, you guys would be stupid to not bring this to the product. So ah. again, my, my background in market research is kind of like, okay, let's, let's get this into people's hands. So we found, we found a couple of unique things happening there. So we got people who were afraid of the rum category to kind of come out and say, well, okay, these guys are doing some crazy stuff. There are, there are certain populations who want to kind of collect everything or want to try everything. So we got those people. And then we had people who just genuinely wanted to, you know, find different rums. It was everything from, you know, our first one we did was a uh, king cake, which is a traditional Mardi Gras, of uh, course, yeah, pastry, yeah. And the thing too is we have a rule at Wildcat Brothers is that we don't use any artificial chemicals, so we actually aged our rum over king cakes, and it was it was interesting. But it was it was our biggest hit. I mean, the, the you know, 100 bottles sold out in I don't know maybe 25 minutes.
0: Was it super sweet?
1: no it was not and and that's the thing i always tell people good booze you're gonna get the flavor on the way out not the way in so people would drink it and go wow this is this is very light and delicate and they breathed out and went oh my god it's like i just ate a piece of king cake oh no way yeah so it was so the the cocktail application was very simple for that we put a little club soda maybe a few drops of ginger extract or something and it was just it it was like drinking a cake and the funny thing is that like like for example the one you just said the sugar maple that's one that people think it's going to be very, very sweet, but, but the maple is, because we aged it on sugar maple wood, it's actually kind of dry, like a dry white wine. So it pairs perfectly with ginger ale, but it's not like people go, well, this is not what I would think rum was going to be. We have a lot, and actually we have a few more that we're going to be likely putting out into uh, full production because we have a lot of, a lot of fans who love some, some of that great stuff.
0: Well, tell me about the Marie.
1: Yeah, so Sweet Crude Marie was, I think, probably one of our big surprises. First off, when you tell people well, we're gonna put rum in a Bloody Mary, they look at you like you're crazy. <sighs> but even we had we had fans here who were using sweet crude and bloody marys already. What it does is, is it's kind of the same principle as I don't know if you've ever cooked tomato sauce and put a pinch of sugar in it to kind of ease the acid.
0: Yes, yes, of course. I was gonna say that, you know, tomato is sweet. So even though you don't think about putting rum in Into the Bloody Mary, it kind of could goes together. Yes, I
1: totally know. What it what it does, Susan, it just takes all the acidic flavors and it just eases Mm -hmm. everything out. Also, too, what happens is that when you get a punch of, like, say a vodka Bloody Mary, when it kind of punches you and you know the alcohol is in your face, the easing of the acid also eases the alcohol. So it makes it a nice, smoother drink. Now we tell people that's great but the big problem is, is that you know a typical Bloody Mary is a one to six ratio of you know, one part vodka six part bloody Mary mix with sweet crude it's like about a one to two to three so essentially you're getting a smoother Bloody Mary you're getting more alcohol content so you may not have to drink more but it just it, it really changes the the whole dynamic of, of the bloody Mary itself and, and that's the thing is we we've, we've done lots of experiments with with different bloody Mary mixes with and that's the thing is that it's it's in everyone, it just really eases the asset, and, and it's an amazing drink. And, and that's the thing is when people go, well, who in the hell would have thought about doing that? Well, we did, because that's part of innovation. Let's let's take it for a spin, and we do that often. And, and that's the thing is, is because we know that that we have great products, and, and they can exist in a lot of different spaces. And that's kind of cool to find the different spaces.
0: Yeah, I, I assure you that the majority of people who will listen to this will want to move to Lafayette. Just to go to those tastings. I know I kinda wanna do that right now.
1: Well look, we we have we we do something called rum school and and it's actually it's one of my favorite parts of my job where I get a chance to sit down and, and talk and really drink with our, our customers and talk about the process. And it's you know, it's a, a couple hour experience where where we you know go through our product line, but also make some cocktails. I also ask people, you know. Bring in your stuff because, again, I'm, I'm a learner too. I want to see how you're doing things. And it's actually kind of cool because we're our, our place butts up against the airport in Lafayette. And it is very surprising the number of people who either fly in just for that or this is their first stop. And, I mean, that's that's such an honor for us. We, we are so honored by that and grateful that they do that. So it's kind of cool.
0: Oh my gosh! I would so get to the airport early, check in my bags, go back to you. I'd probably miss the flight. Every, every
1: well, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it might have happened one or two it's, times before.
0: <laughs> it's a great way to say goodbye and to hello and goodbye to Lafayette.
1: Hello and goodbye. We've had people come, you know, on the way in, come do a a rum class where it's we we call it our heritage line, which is our our sweet crude, our noir, our fifle. And, uh, and then on the way out, they'll do a class where it's our snake oil and we go through our snake oil liner. And so it's, it's, yeah, it's kind of cool. I mean, that's the thing is, is I joke when we, when David and I bought our facility Gator Cove, I said, look, not only do we have a factory here, but I kind of want to see this place as PBS after a few cocktails. <laughs> you know, what are we going to learn? What are we going to talk about? What are we, I mean, that's the thing is like, you know, we're right next to a university and, and I, as being a former professor, Okay, come give a lecture in the tasting room and let's have a cocktail and talk about this stuff. Or tell us how to make our things better or, or take it to a different level. And it's that's kind of cool.
0: I have to admit, you saying PBS uh, just okay. brings to mind that it would be – yours would be the cocktail bar of the Muppets. You could see Kermit oh. hanging out, you know. Big oh. bur-
1: <laughs> well, wait. Funny thing you say that. we, So David and I, one of the things that we are are – I, I am a huge lifelong Muppets fan. Again, as we're being nerdy, to the extent that I'm trying to recreate the the two old guy balcony in my workshop at Gator Cove. Yeah, that's a, that's a huge compliment. So thank you for saying that. Yeah, uh, All right. I, yeah.
0: sure, sure. Now, um, if Kermit or um, Big Bird or anyone who buys one yeah. of your bottles, because you have a few products, let's why don't we talk about that? You know, if someone starts with your sweet crew. Do you have any signature serves or kind of the first cocktail to make Uh, with it? Also the noir, the filetheque Absolutely.
1: So, so we have a saying at Gator Cove and at Wildcat Brothers, we're not afraid of a daiquiri. And that's the thing is that there there are some great books out there. And that's, that's the thing is, is starting out in this industry. And again, coming here, I, David and I both, we, we, we just suck into how people are using cocktails and, and, You know, there's a great book out called The Cocktail Codex, and it it talks about how all cocktails start out from one of six. Well, the one that I really give a damn about the most is a daiquiri. And the traditional daiquiri is two parts white rum, one part lime juice, fresh squeezed, nothing in plastic, and one part to maybe three-fourths part of simple syrup, depending on how sweet you like it. Mm -hmm. That is the number one way to drink sweet crude. It's amazing. And that's the thing, too, is that with a daiquiri – and I tell people all the time, you know, when we compare or when we go out and pitch our products, make a daiquiri with ours and make a daiquiri with theirs. And, and just, it's, a, it's such a, a, an amazing drink. If you want to spice up that daiquiri, we have a, the, actually, the official cocktail of Lafayette is known as. We're back. Oh, to we that. Know, it is known as the. As, yeah, there it comes Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It, yeah. It's called the roulette. And the, as, as in, laissez-le, bon temps roulette, let the good times roll. So what we did is we took the classic daiquiri. Put a couple of drops of of regular Angostura bitters, the yellow cap, serve it over ice, and top it with a little club soda. It changes the drink, makes it a perfect Mm -hmm. drink for a crawfish boil, sitting on the golf course, celebrating the afternoon. It's just such a great refreshing drink. So so those are our favorites to make with Sweet Crude. With Noir, anything you do, and that's the way we joke, anything you do with a white liquor, you can do with Sweet Crude. Anything you do with a dark liquor, Noir is there. You said a noir old fashioned. That's our favorite. Uh, it, it is just an amazing, an amazing product uh, in, in an old fashioned. So one of my favorite drinks using using noir is uh, at the Palace Cafe in New Orleans, which is the home of the Louisiana Rum Society. They do a product. They do a drink called the Sazer Rum. It's a take on the Sazerac, and they use our noir, and it is mind-blowingly good. So yeah, that's the thing is is with. With a good dark, solid dark rum, I mean, you can you can take it for a spin. You know, now it's going to be racing season. We're using it in mint juleps, and actually, the original recipe of mint julep had rum in there. Our friends in Kentucky remember that. So, uh, <laughs> so, so, yeah, it's a good, solid, solid drink. Um, with fifoleg, when we have part, fifoleg is a great party drink. You get a half gallon of fresh pressed apple cider, a whole fifth of Lake, and you put it in a jug, you pour it over ice, take a dash of cinnamon, pop it on the top. It tastes like grandma's apple pie. It is amazing. So those are kind of the three signature ones that we, we tell people all the time, you can't you can never fail. Also, actually for your listeners in, in London, my wife's favorite drink is a shot of Fifale and a strong bow cider. So hard ciders that mm-hmm. are, you know, that, that you guys in, in London are doing so well, uh man that goes incredible with rum. So that's the thing, is 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 I think there's a lot of different ways that you can you can take our heritage line products and, and go forward.
0: Yeah, I think we've given a lot of tips for the home bartender. But maybe if you have any other top tips for the home bartender, whether you know using your rums or something that you found along the way as you were starting to make cocktails yourself.
1: Sure. Well, I, I have to give a big shout out to our corporate mixologist, Camber Jones. She lives in Los Angeles, and she has been a professional bartender for for years. And and so I, I joke with Camber that you know she's a classic bartender. And we're the Cajun guys on a swamp. <laughs> so we'll take the classic recipes and kind of mess with it. One of the things that I learned from her, number one, and, and again, this is from Camber, if you buy any ingredients from the store, make sure it has just one ingredient. Again, no plastic lime juice. You can find bottled lime, squeeze it yourself. That's, that's easy. But also making simple syrups. I, I don't understand why home bartenders... Are spending good money on bottles of sugar and water. Do a simple syrup: one part sugar, one part water, dissolve, and it'll last. But what's also in- incredible about that is that you can put in flavoring. You can throw in some mint in there. You can throw oranges. You can throw in pineapple, and that's that's a, a great cocktail.
0: Yeah, back to that mint julep with rum. You know, yeah. there's nothing better than mint and sugar.
1: Absolutely, mm-hmm. and and that's the thing is is, is you know what. One of the biggest things, especially to the home bartender and and just any bartender in, in in general, is that I I have grown to have such respect for people in the mixology realm. Yeah, I was a, a half ass bartender in college, you know, slinging beer and pouring whiskey drinks. But really, the the, the modern mixologists and and even the home, home bartenders, they're chefs, and we're we're drinking their creations that are absolutely that are masterpieces. And and that's that's something that I'm trying to do. I mean, I want to find the best bartenders out there because. It's my job as CEO to make using our product easier, and if I can go to bartenders and say, "Hey, what's great or what can be used," that's awesome. So, um, yeah, and, and I think home bartenders too look to look to their local bartender or maybe a bartender on online and um, and getting tips. And that's the thing that for for a home bartender tip is don't be afraid to experiment. hundred percent. And if you and if you order a drink, ask for what you want. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's the thing. <laughs> yeah, so that's that's my home bartender tip.
0: And again, my next question follows on so well from that is: if you could be drinking anything anywhere right now, where would that be?
1: There are so many places, but I think. Well, if memory served me, I mean, I remember. You know, if we're getting sappy, I think. I think having a beer with my grandfather. You know, I, mm-hmm. I, it's one of the things of, of remembering having a, a nice adult relationship with a grandfather. You know, sharing a beer, or a glass of whiskey. That's that's always kind of nice. So I, I'd definitely go back there. But I think if you're looking for, and, and it was actually in his shop, in, in his workshop, and that's 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 my happy place, even to this day. But I think if you're looking at like a specific place where anybody can go, I, I I think Havana, Cuba, drinking mojitos. I I had the opportunity when I was uh, living in Florida to take a trip to Havana and uh, tested their rum. So actually, I, I lied. I became a rum drinker oh. when I was in Havana. And, but that's the thing is, like it was it was great to see the process made and I, I guess you know susan that just kind of popped in that's life foreshadowing me owning a rum distillery
0: uh, but yeah, absolutely it
1: was, it was it was really just being able to sit in a bar in havana and talk to people and and really kind of exchange ideas and i think and and finding out that you know yeah we're not too different so i think i would definitely go back there
0: well that's a great way to end so yeah. thank you for sharing that look again we came full circle
1: this is With phenomenal you. it's been <laughs> this is this is awesome i mean i i, it is. I so I, I could can talk you all day. day. I know,
0: I know, I know. Um, but you have rum to make. You have I rum do. to make. Listen, thank you so much for taking the time. It's been so great to chat with you. I learned so Absolutely. much.
1: Well, we we are just honored that you you include us in your podcast, <laughs> and, and we and we we invite everybody to come down to Gator Cove in Lafayette and and drink some rum and uh yeah, see what Louisiana is all about.
0: Yes, definitely. My next trip to Louisiana, I am there. So save save some of that uh, snake oil for me.
1: Oh, we got you. All
0: right. Thank you so much. Thanks so much. Thanks so much to Tate for being on the program. Can't wait to head down to Lafayette to try me some snake oil. Lafayette is the heart and soul of Cajun culture. A party to be found every night filled with live Cajun and Zydeco music, authentic gumbo, and of course, cocktails. Which brings us right to our cocktail of the week. Here's one of our favorite cocktails made with Wildcat Brothers Noir Rum, the Jungle Bird. Add one and a half ounces of Noir Rum, three quarters of an ounce of Campari, one and a half ounces of pineapple juice, a half an ounce of fresh lime juice, and a half an ounce of Demerara sugar syrup to a cocktail shaker. Add ice and then shake, shake, shake. Then double strain it into a rocks glass over fresh ice and then garnish with pineapple leaves and a dehydrated pineapple slice if you have it. You'll find this recipe, more Louisiana cocktails and all the cocktails of the week at LushLifemanual.com, where you'll also find most of the ingredients in our shop. Louisiana is like no other state, a movie setting at every twist and turn, picture-perfect scenery, captivating architecture, museums and art galleries depicting a rich history, as well as a vibrant contemporary scene, stunning homes and courtyards for dining or cocktails, boutiques and stores for endless tax-free shopping. I can't wait to return. Make sure you head to www.louisianatravel.com to find out more. So if you live for Lush Life, make sure you head out to the bars and restaurants you love and tell them how much you love them. The music for Lush Life is by Steven Shapiro and used with permission. And Lush Life is always and will be forever produced by Evoterra Terra and Simpler Media Productions. Which leads me to say the wise words of Oscar Wilde, All things in moderation, including moderation. And always drink responsibly. Next week is almost time to break out those silver cups and make mint juleps. Until that time, bottoms up.